Oh, shit. It's the coin toss. One surprise question off the rip. Two sides of a coin. I'm going to choose a player prop for the Thursday night football game, and Trey and Tarek are going to dispute each side. So this is normally the part where I ask John if he has the coin. Problem is, he hasn't been bringing his coin to work. So uh, we got together, pitched in, bought him a one-way ticket to Boston to find the finest coin he can. We'll see you next week, John. Uh, Trey, you don't have the coin because I have the coin. That's right. Tarek, heads or tails? Tails. I'm flipping it. Trey allegedly has eyes. It's tails. Hey. Look at that. No, the coin flipper app says tails. All right. (laughs) Tailed it. All right, Tarek. Well, I guess that means uh, you get the ball or you get to uh, defer it. What are you doing? You you want the the ball? Yeah. All right, man. So here's the over under on the player props. Sterling Shepard, 53 and a half yards receiving tomorrow's game. What do you say, man? Last week, nine targets, seven receptions, 113 yards. 53 and a half seems kind of low, eh? Yeah, Washington football team's got a pretty good defense, but uh, as I'll probably talk about at some point during this game, uh, I'm rising on Sterling Shepard. I think he is the first option in the passing game there in New York, so I'll go ahead and take the over. Um, I think, yeah, 26% target share in uh, Daniel Jones's healthy games with Sterling Shepard. That didn't seem to change much in Kenny Galladay's first game, Uh, so I'll take the over. Trey, you're going to play that saxophone for us? Uh, happily take the under here. I think uh, Kenny G's in his second week in the uh, the offense can get more targets funneled his way. I think we see a little bit more Saquon Barkley in week two than we did in week one. This is a good defense. I don't think the Giants are going to move the ball effectively. Yeah, give me that under. Tarek, you love overs on these player props. Bro, I just I, I love overs. What can I say? I feel like Vegas knows all on this one. It's just like... It's just tempting you, Tarek. It just wants you to pick this over. Vegas is like, come on, man. You know you want this. No, look, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get like eight targets, six receptions for 43 yards because that's a Sterling Shepard special as well. But you know what? Just in the spirit of me rising on Sterling Shepard, I'm going to take the over, but also because I love overs and I love football, I guess. <laughs> Are you sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love football. I I. I guess. I guess. <laughs> Unless the Cowboys are playing. <laughs> Tarek, are you okay, man? I'm having a rough go of it, y'all. He hates football. <laughs> Sterling Shepard, I guess. I mean, that's how everybody feels about Sterling Shepard, so I think Tarek just captured it perfectly. What? the fuck is going on everyone welcome into the long game dynasty podcast a weekly roundtable discussion about dynasty fantasy football with me not as always we're missing a man is trey crying and mitch yates john alexander on his way to boston uh there may be a mint there that he's gonna go look for some coins i guess as mitch said you know it's a really old city they probably have a mint somewhere even if it's not operational but um yeah anyway uh, trey how you doing i'm good dude i'm good uh it's great that we finally got some football back uh spent a whole lot of my weekend uh just uh parked in front of the tv enjoying the games and enjoying the live action so uh just felt like um you know 
all this buildup uh, we've had over the last couple months, uh, we've had some pretty good storylines that came out of it. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you guys uh, and your fantasy teams, but uh, my weekend was up and down. I had some uh, uh, some winners and some losers. But, uh, yeah, all in all, pretty, uh, pretty stoked to have football back on the uh, on the old TV. I feel like, to be honest, I won in the leagues that I care the least about and I lost in the leagues that I care the most about. Perfect. So great weekend. Yeah. I mean, no, I, <laughs> I, w- I would rather have it be the opposite, but you know, it's okay. I care about all my leagues, but no, I care about some leagues a lot more. Mitch, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for asking. And so I also feel that way, but only because I have a ton of money in redraft leagues. And dude, I'm not going to lie. I went like 0-5 in redraft this week. And I still feel great about all of the teams. That's the thing. But like, come on, give me give me one, right? Give me one. I don't even I'm I'm not going to talk about it because I know a ton of people lost some heartbreakers. But when you lose a bunch of heartbreakers, uh, week one's for losing, but at least the Titans also did that. Man, sometimes football's back. You're so excited. You're like, yes, it's finally back. I'm so amped. And you got to keep your head on a swivel. Yeah, I'd say Kyler Murray and J.J. Watt definitely ruined Mitch's Sunday. So uh, this is about the, uh, the the most down this guy has been in uh, in weeks. So, Dude, uh, forget about Chandler Jones, man. Just like you mentioned, J.J. Watt, Kyler Murray. Five sacks, Chandler De- Jones. DeAndre yeah, no Hopkins, kidding. who cares? Yeah, I mean, well, you know what's great about redraft is if your team is bad, you can just rebuild. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Who plays redraft anymore anyway? All of us do. Shut the fuck up. Speaking of a format where you can rebuild, let's talk Dynasty. And we're just going to jump right into this. Uh, Kind of for uh, this in-season content, we're going to standardize the show a little bit. In the first half of these episodes, we're going to just be talking about developing storylines that are applicable to Dynasty. And then in the second half, we're going to talk about um, our rankings movers uh, kind of based on what we saw in the actual games each week. So in the first half, we got four Dynasty storylines that we want to talk about, NFL storylines relating to Dynasty. And the first one, it can be summed up in one word. Shanahanigans. Shananahanigans. Shananahanigans. Bananigans. So these Shanahanigans can basically be broken down into two sections. One about Brandon Ayuk and his lack of usage, and the other about the surprise Trey Sermon inactive that we learned Sunday morning. So let's start with um, what happened with Ayuk. So Brandon Ayuk essentially split um, the wide receiver to work with Trent Sherfield. I think he ran one less route then Trent Sherfield and Debo Samuel was the featured receiver in that offense. And we will talk about Debo. Debo. We will talk about, we will talk about Debo Samuel uh, in a little bit uh, later on in the show, but let's talk about Brandon Ayuk and what's going on here. Uh, how are you guys reacting to um, this usage and to him maybe being in the doghouse, maybe being injured? What's going on? So I'll start us off. And, uh, you know, like you, Tarek, I was pretty high on IU going into this year. I thought there was definitely a second year breakout coming uh, for Brandon Ayuk. So uh, week one definitely threw some cold water on those plans. Uh, Let's just remember real quick. So a couple things. Uh, Week one at Detroit, this 
San Francisco team was winning 31 to 10 at half. So there is no need for them to have Ayuk in every play if he really was dealing with a hamstring issue, you know? Um, now I know he was still back there fielding punts, so that doesn't really, that kind of contradicts that. But week two at Philadelphia, that game is only supposed to be a three and a half point spread in San Francisco's favor. It should be a closer game. I think we can see a little bit closer to what, you know, really Shanahan's plan is for this offense going into week two. And let's remember, Kyle Shanahan is a known liar. So anything he says about usage, about Sherfield, whatever, take that with a enormous pile of salt because you just can't trust anything that comes out of that guy's mouth. You're absolutely right, dude. You got to you got to walk through this salt bag field with a machete when the shenanigans are taking place here. Like this sounds like a bunch of goddamn coach speak. This sounds mm-hmm. like oh, he he just needs to uh, be a better professional or whatever. This is him talking to his locker room and trying to flex. So like Tarek said, when it comes down to it, if it's a close game, you can't tell me that fucking, uh, what, what's his face, Sherfield? You you cannot tell me that he's the guy out there that, that, quote, gives him the best chance to win. I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. What I do buy more from the week one is uh, Debu Samuel, but we'll talk about that later. So right now, Ayuk moved from, I think, like 30 to like 30 for me. So... This this to me is more kind of like a Mike Evans situation where, sure, he had a down week, but I don't buy this moving forward. And I certainly don't buy this moving forward if we're talking about years of dynasty. Yeah, I mean, we have talked extensively about um, me and Trey's very different ranking of Brandon Ayuk versus Mitch and John. Um, so we won't get into that right now. I mean, I moved Ayuk down from my wide receiver 12 to my wide receiver 13. Look, He's obviously a my guy. He was a reputation player. I still think he's very good based on the confluence of kind of the milestones he hit as a rookie and uh, tape evaluation from evaluators that I trust, like Matt Harmon and Chris Harris and Brett Coleman. Now, I do think that the downside risk has increased a little bit just based on all of this noise and based on his injury, based on the small doghouse that he might be in. Uh, so I did elevate Chris Godwin above him. Uh, another guy I'll talk about later in Godwin, but you know, it's something that I'm monitoring. I don't want this to continue for a couple more weeks. I want to see my guy, Brandon Ayuk out there balling like I know he can. All right. So the other side of the Kyle shenanigans has to do with Trey Sermon's inactive designation going into Sunday's game. Bananigans. And look, It's Shanahan. I think we're going to see Sermon get the bulk of carries here sooner rather than later. Um, So maybe not this week, maybe not in the first couple of weeks, but eventually I think we're going to see some Sermon pop games. So I've been making offers of two second round picks where I can for him. I've been trying to turn Elijah Mitchell and something insignificant into Trey Sermon. Um, So that's where I'm coming from. I'm still a believer. Where are you guys at with this inactive? Well, so thank you, Tarek, for for doing that before I gave you the okay. Tarek has been doing that in a league that we are (laughs) co-managing. And I actually actually was like, oh, I don't know. Can we wait a week? Because honestly, I'm hedging a bit, right? Like, I I do kind of want to wait a week. I want to see the hot potato situation here. 
because that's what it feels like in San Francisco. One day it's this running back, one day it's Mostert, and all of a sudden he explodes. And uh, next week it's uh, Trace, uh, I'm sorry, Elijah Mitchell. So I kind of want to capitalize on Elijah Mitchell and get him out of my team and upgrade to something a little more guaranteed, just because I do agree with Tarek. I think Trace Sermon's time is coming, but I don't want to be caught holding the, the Trace Sermon bag either. So I don't know if Elijah Mitchell for... Trey Sermon is exactly what I want to do. I I, I kind of want to get out of this. I don't know, Trey. What do you think? Well, I mean, so where I'm at is I think this is exactly the situation you were hoping for if you drafted Trey Sermon at the end of the first round uh, back in uh, in the spring because uh, we knew it was going to be him and Sermon, or excuse me, him and Mostert most likely leading the way. Uh, Mostert is now out for the rest of the year, and so it's it's presumably Sermon's job to lose. Uh, he comes in with a lot higher draft capital than Mitchell or these other guys in the roster have. Uh, you know, there's been a lot said about the athleticism of Mitchell and how he was always the guy. Let's not forget that like Trey Sermon's athleticism, his relative athletic score is as good as, if not better than Mitchell's uh, based on his, uh, you know, pre-combine testing. So um, I'm not fading Sermon yet until we see it on the field week two. Yeah, I, I think really, though, this is one of those times that I'm going to take that situation crutch and just really admit that Shanahan doesn't give a fuck about draft cap and he doesn't really care about fantasy football at all. And so if he sees Mitchell as his guy that likes his system the best... Uh, I don't think this is about talent for me. I think this is just about the hot hand in San Francisco now, which again is why I want to flip him. But I think Sermon will just be the next chapter in this book, and this book is going to be a very long book. Well, look, I <laughs> we're, we're reading books here. Um, yeah, I don't know about like, yeah, I don't think Shanahan cares about draft capital either, and that's not what I'm getting at. I just think Sermon wasn't active last week. Uh Mitchell was because he plays special teams. Mostert went down. The only two guys who were active were Mitchell and Hasty. So Mitchell got the work. Let's see what happens when all three of them are active and see what the splits look like. I think it's going to be very hard to predict week to week, week to week. But I think Sermon fits the mold of the power back and he can take over that lead role. Yeah. So Elijah Mitchell, uh, he was running back 54 for me before this Mostert injury. And then before we saw him uh, run for over 100 yards and a touchdown. Um, he moved up to running back 36. I want to see how it shakes out with Sermon, but Mostert kind of being completely out of the picture makes me relatively bullish on Elijah Mitchell for now. Yeah, and I just want to throw on at the end of this, like Mostert, go ahead and drop his ass in every format, man. His career is over. Unless you guys disagree. I, yeah, I th I think you can drop him if you want to. I yeah. think I, I, I don't I don't it. think you shouldn't want to though. I am firm <laughs> on this. Get rid of him. Well, you know, maybe what you should do if you can is drop Raheem Mostert and pick up Jeff Wilson if he is available Junior. in the dynasty league because I think Jeff Wilson should be stashed Junior. in an IR spot. Thank you. I think <laughs> Jeff Wilson Jr. should be stashed in an IR spot if he's available on waivers in your dynasty league. For sure. Um Let's move on to our second storyline, which is about Jameis Winston. Um, in his first game with the Saints against the Green Bay Packers, uh, absolutely took it to that defense, 
threw five touchdowns on very limited throws and yardage. And he was extremely acquirable in Dynasty this offseason, even after he was named the starter in that league that me and Mitch uh, co-managed. After he was named the starter, we drafted him in the ninth round in the Superflex League. So he was very acquirable. I think he may still be acquirable if I'm reading the room right. But what do y'all think? Yeah, I think he I think he is. I think there's a, a discount out there. Of, I think there's a group of people that, you know, think Jameis is an idiot and, you know, aren't going to be kind of discounting this possibility that he might actually be the long term answer for New Orleans. So if he is the long term answer, I mean, obviously, he's not going to score five touchdowns every week. But what he did in week one was extremely encouraging. We've seen him be the quarterback for as recently as 2019. Uh, so that's his upside here. So if he is the long-term answer in New England or in New Orleans, he's only 27. He's very easily right now in the Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins tier of quarterback twos for me. And we know his upside is much, much more. Yeah, Trey, I, I think the discount does come from all the stupid things that he's done in the past, but We've noticed that Jameis has gone behind Drew Brees and chilled out for the last year and actually developed in that offense. And it was really low key. So him coming in and getting this job this year, like he's he's been there for a while and he's really starting to understand the offense and the fact that he beat Taysom out. Yeah. Like I, I was the yeah. one saying, like, I don't believe the quarterback of the future is on this roster right now. The way I saw Jameis play uh, last weekend changed my mind pretty completely. What I'm getting to is I'm not selling him right now. Yeah. Like those five TDs were nice. Right. But the yardage is concerning and he is just, it's in his playbook. It's in his wheelhouse to go ape shit, to go wild, uh, any of the following weeks. And if he does that, then I feel like his price is going up. I don't know if I'm selling him till week four though, really, because he could probably help me win some games here. Yeah. I, and, and look, I, with clear eyes, I recognize that the interceptions are coming, you know, like it, they haven't completely gone away yet, but it was really nice seeing one week with uh, five touchdowns, no picks. Yeah. I, I think my biggest worry with Jameis going into the season was that he had a short leash with Taysom Hill breathing right. down his neck. And I think his leash got a good amount longer here and he did it with, let's face it, a bunch of scrubs like Marquez Callaway, the guy that, um, you know, we were looking to have a big game here as the number one option did not have a big game here. So he's a hold and even a buy for me. Jameis Winston is because like we said, a lot of people still don't like him that much. And everywhere I had him, he was on the trading block for me going into the season and I took him off. Yeah, he's I, I, I want to use Jameis Winston on my rosters moving forward. Did you guys notice that he ran a little bit faster than Mr. Krabs this time around, though? Like, he, <laughs> he looked quick. He looked fucking quick out there. Yeah, Maybe, I mean, that's that's not really something he did a lot of in Tampa. Trey, I know what it is. You mentioned it. He slimmed up. He shaved a number off of his jersey. You mentioned this. Oh, yeah. We got more aerodynamic Indeed. by shaving a number off. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so our... Th- Third storyline that we're going to talk about here has to do with the Washington football team and the injury we saw to their starting quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick went down with a hip displacement, um, which will essentially knock him out for at least like I would say his career Uh, could be his career. Uh, They didn't really put a timeline on it. Um, I guess 
Tyler Hanky Panky, as Mitch likes to call him, takes over for Fitzmagic here. Um, and how does this make us hashtag feel about Antonio Gibson, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Deami Brown, just all these pieces, even the ones that aren't playing right now moving forward? Doesn't feel that good at first. And what I mean by that is I was absolutely pissed off. I was sitting at a bar and I just hear some dude say out of the corner of my ear, yo, Fitzpatrick went down with a hip. And in my head, I'm counting the shares of Terry McLaurin and Gibson that I have. And I'm like, fuck. And you know what? At the end of the day, I'm starting to realize that that's, that's okay because Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't really that great. Like he's just he's not that great, and he's not that great, guys. He's a replacement level quarterback who's near the end of his career. I think we were excited about him for fantasy, but nobody thought he was the long term answer in Washington. Listen, man, and so if Hanky Panky's in there doing doing the Hanky Panky and just like same same sitch, right? And as Tarek mentioned to me during the game when I was just upset that Terry McLaurin just got shut out the first half. Uh, Hanky Pank was targeting Terry like all second half. So if if we're worried about wideouts or running backs or anything, this offense is still going to have to play football. And I don't really know if this is that big of a deal. I was upset at first. Yeah. I was upset that I started Ryan Fitzpatrick in our listeners league. That definitely lost me the game. But, you know, I, I don't think if I care, I, I don't think I care about this long term. Yeah, I, I think like Fitzpatrick, uh, Taylor Heineke will actually take some shots uh, downfield that I'm not sure that his arm talent can back up. Um, but I think he will take those shots. Sometimes we saw him take a long, stupid shot down to Terry McLaurin and Terry McLaurin, just because he's amazing, came down with it. Um, McLaurin's an elite receiver, and I was excited for him to pair up with a YOLO thrower like Ryan Fitzmagic, but I don't think it's that different with Heineke. And Antonio Gibson looked fantastic to me in this game. Uh, I, I think he ran really well. Um, he's still a top eight running back for me in Dynasty. He relegated J.D. McKissick um, kind of to a very complimentary role, took uh, about almost 90% of the running back rushes, a majority of the running back catches. So I'm still very excited about Antonio Gibson. I'm not fading these pieces at all. So guys, the piece that we didn't touch on is, is Taylor Heineke a uh -huh. standalone QB2 now in Superflex? And I think that there's an argument that he should definitely be in that conversation because he brings an element with his running game uh, that Fitz doesn't really bring at age, you know, 39 or whatever. So uh, 69. <laughs> watch out. Yeah, you know, with his broken hip. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So watch out. Watch out for uh, for Heineke uh, in that running game on the ground, because uh, that might keep the offense a little bit more on schedule than what we were going to get with uh, with Fitzpatrick. So it's definitely not the end of the world. Don't go sell your Washington playmakers at a discount. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, if he's on your waiver wire somehow, I know what this is. This show is coming out. Uh, later in the week, but uh, definitely scoop him up if you can, because I think he's uh, he's worth the dart throw in two QB leagues. What do you think he's worth, like trade wise? You uh, say you're in a super flex, you throwing a, a second round pick at him, or is that too much? Oh, I don't know about I throwing a draft pick at a guy who's probably a one year rental, but uh, right now I think it's fair to kind of put him in, um, you know, that range of those other one year guys. Uh, I moved him up 
just over Carson Wentz uh, because I'm super low on Carson Wentz. <laughs> uh, so he's coming in around quarterback 30, 31 right now in my uh, yeah. dynasty ranks. Yeah, I, I was ready to go to all my Superflex leagues and drop a shit ton of fab on him, but he was already uh, rostered in all my Superflex leagues. Um, so I, I agree. I don't think he's a guy that you want to go target in a trade because you're going to have to pay a second round pick for him. And if you're trading a second round pick for Taylor Heineke to be an important part of your roster, uh, you should probably rethink your whole strategy. Uh, that's <laughs> that's just like wh- what I'm thinking about when I'm kind of postulating trades for Taylor Heineke. But I think if he's on your roster and you can sell him for a second round pick, I probably would do it. Um, I don't. Are you th- taking a third? No, no. If I have Taylor Heineke at this point, I'm I'm probably just keeping him. I'm, he's probably just a hold for me. I want I want to see what he does. What if he's your QB four? I bet you're taking a third there. You're taking some value. No, no, I'm not taking a third. If even if he's my QB four, because he's going to be a starting quarterback likely for the rest of the year in the NFL. So in a super flex league, that's always going to be worth more than a third. I'm just not sure anybody's going to give you a second for it. But who knows? So he's 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 dying on Tarek's roster. You heard it here. First. Yeah. There you go. Probably. All right. So this fourth storyline we're going to talk about uh, is a is kind of a twofer. It's about two teams because it's centered around a coach, and the coach's name is Arthur Smith. So Arthur Smith moved from being the offensive coordinator in Tennessee to uh, being the head coach in Atlanta. And both teams happen to have pretty concerning week ones from an offensive standpoint. Uh, Mitch, let's start with you here. Are we worried about either team or their weapons? I all right. So uh, I'll just get this out of the way then. Um, So the Titans looked like shit and they look like shit for one key reason. And that's that they got their asses kicked on the offensive line. That D line Chandler Jones, JJ Watt, like they were menaces and so a lot of stats are going out about how there wasn't enough play action and the offense game plan was not like what it used to be and uh, we should hit the panic button. But the thing is, when you're getting when when you're running around for your life like that, there is no game plan. The game plan is run around for your life and hope to get the ball somewhere like the Titans went in there with a clipboard with a goddamn Sharpie and they were fucking embarrassed. Now, that isn't a great look when uh, your offensive coordinator made all of your players look like MVPs and then hit the road. But I do think that these players on the Titans uh, can straighten up here. And it's good to get your ass kicked on week one so uh, we can actually see what you're all about week two. If this continues with the Titans and if, if we continue to see like a 7% play action rate week two, and week three, then Trey, I'm I'm with you hitting the panic button here, but I'm not going to overreact on one week. So, so Mitch just uh, tipped my hand there uh, because I am definitely concerned, and we've been talking about it in the uh, the group chat over the past couple of days. Um, Mitch, I just don't get how you can say that, um, like getting your ass kicked on the O line just means that we should ignore everything that happened on offense because those play calls you know, that still happened. And there's things you can do to, you know, help against, uh, you know, a, an oppressive defensive line rush. And, you know, that's call more screens and get the play action going. And for whatever reason, the new offensive coordinator in Tennessee did not do that. So uh, I am reacting 
early to what I saw game one. I think I am concerned about uh, the Tennessee playmakers. I think what we're seeing is a new offensive philosophy coming out of this new offensive coordinator. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that guys like Tanny, Derrick Henry, Julio Jones, and AJ Brown are going to return the value that we thought they were going to in 2021. And yeah, I obviously am on the flip side of that. When Derrick Henry's getting smashed in the backfield by JJ Watt, like losing what two yards every other uh, first down carry, it's very difficult to establish a play action with that. So they switched their offense to be one dimensional. Again, it looked awful. I'm not trying to say that that offense looked good. It definitely looked bad and it is concerning. But if, if uh, Derrick Henry, it, say he starts off a little bit stronger, say next game he starts off, starts to bust off a few rushes, that inherently opens the play action. So when you start slow like that, you. Oh, no, no, okay. no. Yeah. Uh, I, look, I. <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily want to like get too deep into, you know, what what the Titans are or aren't going to do. I guess it's just like I'm more worried about the Titans than I am the Falcons in terms of their current dynasty value. And that's because I think Arthur Smith is a good coach. Yeah. Like I know he's a good coach and he will adjust his strategy to better suit his offensive weapons. With the Titans, I'm not moving anyone in my ranks, but I'm monitoring. Like, it's been clear for two years now that Ryan Tannehill works best in play action on scheduled reads, and they need to figure that shit out. Calling the game that they were calling in week one, and whether that was because J.J. Watt or Chandler Jones was breathing down their throat, whatever, they need to figure it out because it was not a good look. Figure it out, boys figure it out yeah i mean so you you did mention atlanta let's talk about the day that uh, kyle pitts had as a rookie because if you're a kyle pitts manager you should be very happy by oh, the work yeah. that he got Absolutely. uh day one i know atlanta didn't show up in the uh the box score but uh, uh pitts got a lot of work he got a lot of volume a lot of targets his way uh so he's looking a little bit more like the hybrid wide receiver that uh a lot of his uh you know fans were claiming he was going to be going into the season the other, the other piece of the puzzle there in Atlanta is uh, Calvin Ridley. And yeah, it's definitely cause for concern. Like his touchdown numbers might be a little bit low because you're probably banking on him being a, a top six wide receiver if you have him on your team uh, going into this year. So uh, keep an eye on it. But, um, you know, Atlanta's got a chance to turn that around and they're going to be in plenty of uh, passing situations for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. And my favorite tweet that I read over the weekend um Adam Levitan, disappointing result for Kyle Pitts Sunday, but usage usage was outstanding. He played 71% of the snaps, ran a route on 90% of Matt Ryan's dropbacks, was in the slot 23 times and split wide 14 times. Yeah. Tied for the team lead with 22.8% target share. Beautiful. That's good news, man. That's real yeah, good that's news. That's what Beautiful. I want to see. And uh, yeah, Arthur Smith, what was he a former coach of? Tight ends. Uh, does he care about tight ends? I think maybe he drafted this guy pretty high. So, yeah, I'm still A-OK with the way that Kyle Pitts did, regardless of the points on the board. Yeah, I think another thing that I can pull on the Atlanta side is uh, maybe think about adding Cordero Patterson. Um, he seemed to be the clear number two running back there. Um, I know Wayne Gallman is still getting uh, involved in the offense, but... I think Cordero Patterson could be a, a, a good deep bench stash. I mean, you always want to keep those backup running backs on your dynasty benches. They're, in my opinion, more um, 
going to return more value in the long run than uh, these wide receiver 75 in your rankings. So, um, yeah, think about Cordero Patterson and Wayne Gallman on the end of your bench. Okay, mic check. It is halftime. Nas, why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat fluid when you rhyme. It's halftime. All right, so uh, big news was that last week uh, we hit our four-team parlay. We did it, boys. Let's go. Let's yeah, go. So, Let's go. Like I said, like I said in the beginning of halftime, it's it's very difficult uh, to hit a four-team parlay against the spreads, but we unexpectedly did it. So hopefully we can keep that momentum going, hit a couple more times throughout the season, because if we hit one more time, we're, we're completely in the green. Instead of the long game, it's going to be the financial advising game. Yes, and we are not financial advisors, but take our advice. TLG financial. In <laughs> halftime, just <laughs> just as a reminder, we are each picking one game against the spread, and I am placing a $20 bet on a parlay of those four picks. Uh, before we get into our three picks, John sent us his pick, and that is the Arizona Cardinals minus three and a half at home against minnesota he is picking arizona and kyler murray what do you guys think about that pick i like it man we we saw arizona really show up against a, a good tennessee you know a team that's been in a, uh, the playoffs the last couple of years they looked great on defense they looked uh unstoppable at times on offense they mixed in rondell Moore. so yeah I, I like arizona i hate it the salt is no 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 <laughs> extra salty I, I, I over think... here I, I think it's fine. I think Arizona's going to win by three and we're going to lose. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Beautiful. Well, on that on that token, Mitch, why don't you give us your pick next? Uh, Well, you know what? You know who's better than the Jacksonville Jaguars? That's going to be everybody, but especially the Snow Donkeys, the Denver Broncos, by minus six. That means I'm taking them by a touchdown away in Jacksonville. Okay, so Denver to win by a touchdown against Jacksonville. Maybe even two or three or four. But I think they're going to win by all of those. And to me, if Jacksonville wins this bet, flame me. Destroy me next week. <laughs> Bring okay. it on. Don't worry, man. We will. I know. All right, so we got Arizona minus three and a half at home against Minnesota from John. Denver minus six. I am going to go with uh, another favorite. And that is Rams minus three and a half at Indianapolis. Um, so it's an away game. So, you know, you got to give a couple points away for that. But um, I think Indianapolis has a solid defense, but I don't think it's a defense um, that is going to be able to contain Sean McVay, Matt Stafford and those weapons there. And I think their offense, they're going to try to run. Um, and you know, maybe they'll have success like the bears did, but, uh, they're going to try to run and then the Rams are going to throw all over them and they're not going to be able to. And I think Aaron Donald is, is going to harass Carson Wentz all day. So give me the Rams to win by at least four points in Indianapolis. Trey, what you got? Well, Hey, I love the uh, fade against Carson Wentz there. Um, all right, so I'll, I'll pick the one dog of the week then. So uh, I'm going to take Cincinnati as a one and a half point underdog at Chicago. That's a cat. Yeah, give me uh, Tigers over, bear, or over Bears. Uh, honestly, I was surprised to see Chicago as favorite in this game. I think Cincinnati, uh, while they're not great on defense, I think they can do just enough on defense to slow down Chicago. We just saw them last week take a Minnesota team to overtime, a team that I do think is better than Chicago on both sides of the ball. 
And that Cincinnati offense is going to eat, man. Cincinnati looked really strong the way they were feeding Mixon, the way they were uh, having Jamar Chase uh, lead that wide receiver room and targets. So give me Burrow over uh, Andy Dalton and lock this one in. Trey, I love that. If they don't bench Randy Dalton at halftime, I am with you up until the third quarter. If I see Randy Dalton march out there in in the third quarter, I think this is a lock. If I see uh, Mr. Fields go out there, I think we are screwed. All right, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. That I, I will. I will say that uh, that Trey's pick, uh, picking Cincinnati in that narrow of a spread, does make me nervous. But hey, I already placed the bet, so no takebacks. A bet. little little heartburn's good for you, bud. Look, man. Yes, the, the Rams three and a half is important because they can win by four. That's an easy win. Like that's a touchdown ahead of a field goal. That's a normal win. Three and a half is great. Where they were at minus four, that's that's terrifying. So I'm glad you got them yeah. at three and a half. Right, right. Okay, so the bet, the bet is placed. We will let y'all know next week uh, how we did. All right, let's kick off this second half. And as we're going to be doing weekly on the show, we're going to be talking about our rankings movers. Uh, so e- each of us kind of got together five guys that we wanted to talk about in some measure of detail. And then we'll each give a couple guys at the end of show uh, that we also moved around in our rankings. So the first guy uh, we mentioned him earlier when we were talking about Shanana Hannigans is Debo Samuel Um, had a massive game uh, in week one, even though he had a really boneheaded fumble at the end of the game that almost got the Lions back into it before that um, something like 189 yards and a touchdown. So really uh, showed himself out uh, for this game. Yeah. So uh, Shanna Hannigan's uh, had Ayuk sitting on the bench and let Debo just absolutely lead the way. Uh, I had him as my wide receiver 45 ish before, and I moved him up about 10 spots into wide receiver 34. So he was a big mover up for me. He actually led the entire NFL uh, in targets per route run in week one, he had 12 targets on 25 routes run for 48%, which was best in the NFL. Wow. Uh, so yeah, I mean, whatever he's doing, uh, with Jimmy G is working and I think it's going to be featured a lot the rest of the year. Yeah. Let's give, uh, Johnny B that's our own John Alexander, some credit here. He's been, he's been talking about Debo for a while. Uh, in his segment, he said that Debo and Ayuk are going to be much closer than people are projecting. And the three of us actually said, I don't know about all that, John. And then, of course, yeah, we called him a running back. Yeah, we <laughs> did. We did. So I, I moved Debo from 51 to 31. That's a 20 point jump. And as Ooh. we're going to say, <laughs> as we go further into the show, that he should never have been at 51. That That's on me on that one. But it truly, he did look like a running back in the past, and he wasn't getting that sort of volume. And when you saw him go to work week one, oh, that was a that was a wake up call for sure. So even with Ayuk back, man, like I, I think he's firmly as a starting wide receiver if it's one A or one B. Yeah, look, in our defense, he had more air yards in this game than he had in seven games combined last year. Right. Um, Hat hat tip Frank Amaranti uh, for that little nugget. Um, So that could indicate a change in role. It could also indicate that it's just a fluke. But either way, 
Um, he was still kind of a running back with the ball in his hands. Once he caught the ball, he's just a beast. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that merits our respect. And yeah, I moved him up from wide receiver 39 to wide receiver 34. So not a huge jump for me, um, but probably moved up about a tier uh, in doing that. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he looks like as I expect Ayuk to get integrated back into a full-time role because, look, I do not think that Trent Sherfield is is going to overtake or even split Brandon Ayuk's role with him. So let's see how this unfolds for a couple weeks, but definitely reason to be excited and definitely reason to, um, you know, like Mitch said, give a shout-out to John for being uh, bullish on Debo. All right, so uh, the second guy we're going to talk about is Cooper Cup. Um, who had a big game with uh, Matt Stafford in week one against the Bears. 96% snap rate, uh, a big target share, um, was used all over the field. Um, how are you guys reacting to Cooper Cup's performance? Well, I feel great. I, I feel like I, I got a hit here, right? This isn't a victory lap, but I was very high on Woods and Cup based on the Stafford connection and based on Sean McVay's offense. So I actually had uh, Woods at 19 and Cup at 21, and that was my preseason rankings. And now I have the opposite. I have uh, Cup at 19 and Woods at 21. So not a lot of movement there. I'm still super high on both of these pieces. Definitely Cup ahead of Woods here just because he's younger and he uh, he just looks so good with Stafford there. And I know Stafford is going to keep slinging it. So give me them cup shares. Yeah, I mean, my prior going into the year was that Woods was going to be the guy uh, and that he was going to get the majority of the volume. And uh, um, my rankings reflected that. I had Woods up in the um, kind of low-end wide receiver two range and Cup more in the low-end wide receiver three range for Dynasty. Uh, clearly that was a mistake. Cup's going to be much more involved. He looks like the number one already. Uh, so hat tip to you, Mitch, for uh, getting that call right going into the year, or at least a lot closer than I did. Uh, I haven't moved up Cup over Woods yet just because I want to see it two weeks in the row in a row first. Uh, McVeigh has shown some kind of questionable usage in the past. So uh, let's see it play out over multiple weeks before we uh, before I'll swap him in the ranks. But uh, yeah, he looked great in week one. Yeah, uh, I had Cooper Cup below Robert Woods by one spot before, and I moved Cooper Cup up from my wide receiver 32 to my wide receiver 27, and that doesn't sound like a lot, but that basically like puts him in the same league uh, with the young guys like Rashad Bateman, uh, Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, whereas he was kind of a tier below that before. So it was a significant bump for me. Uh, and I think I saw enough to move him above Woods for now, um, but they're still very close in my ranking. So that that's that's going to be a little bit less sticky. Um, Woods over Cup or Cup over Woods. I think they're relatively interchangeable for now. Agreed. Okay, so third guy. Want to talk about another receiver uh, that probably got a bump in most of our rankings, and that is Corey Davis, who got two touchdowns uh, from the rookie Zach Wilson in that game against Carolina. Um, Mitch, uh, from what I understand, you are a Corey Davis guy. Yeah, I, I am, and I have been since this week. 
And so <laughs> there I, it is. yeah, no, it's true. And, and I, I want to establish that like when he was on the Titans and when he left the Titans, I was punting on Corey Davis because he was never the focal point. He was never the guy in Tennessee. He was behind AJ Brown, Derrick Henry, DeMarco Murray, who knows? Like he, he, he was drafted super high, but he never performed as that guy dealt with injuries, never really broke out. And last year was the, the first year he actually started to get some consistent work. And that's when he actually signed that big deal with the Jets. He started to get all that work in with Zach Wilson. Soon as he signed his contract late, uh, they, they've happened to become like BFFs on the field. And so we started to notice those signs in preseason. We talked about it on the pod where it just seemed like Corey Davis was that like that outlet guy that, uh, oh, shit, I'm scrambling who I got. It's Corey Davis. And so we saw that kind of spill out into week one. For the first time in his career, I see Corey Davis being used as that first option. So what I'm saying is that late breakout, it's time. And it feels uncomfortable on this side saying, go pay a first round draft pick for Corey Davis. But here's the deal. I've inquired. He's not going cheaper than that. And my God, if he is, well, go do it. But he's a starting wide receiver for a budding talent at quarterback. And if you believe that Zach Wilson is good, and I do, this is his guy. So getting in now, I feel like is the last opportunity to do that. Okay, so Trey, seven targets, five receptions for 97 yards and two touchdowns. So how are you feeling about Corey Davis after that? I feel like Mitch is overreacting to two touchdowns. I mean, like, I, look, he he was always going to be the number one guy in New Jersey. Like, that's what they brought him in to do. Uh, there's not another number one option uh, in that receiver room. Like, I think he was clearly the most talented receiver. And, you know, what we're seeing now is just was reflected in training camp and, and preseason. So what does the number one receiver in in New Jersey get you? I mean, that's probably like quarter or like wide receiver two production over like most of the year, maybe. Uh, I mean, he's going to be limited by like, um, you know, the opportunities in the red zone. So um, I'm not selling the farm for him. I love the value bump, but I mean, uh, I didn't expect the two touchdowns, but I expected this kind of usage for uh, for Corey Davis going in this year. Right. I, I'm I'm still concerned personally. Um, that Corey Davis might not be all that good um, just based on talent evaluators like Chris Harris and Matt Harmon, who I place my trust in. Um, so I worry what he will do versus good corners. But look, he's clearly going to get volume. He's clearly right. going to be the alpha in that offense. So he moved up from wide receiver 44 to wide receiver 39 for me. It's just once you get past that range once you get past wide receiver 39 you start getting into some really good receivers like adam Thielen and tyler lockett and really high potential receivers like elijah moore rondale moore terrace marshall and i'm just not ready to put him there yet after four years of disappointment relative to expectation and maybe that's just me being stubborn and maybe this is one of those weird anomaly cases but the dude is still 26 he was drafted fifth overall he has the alpha build. He has that 6'3", like 220-pound build. Right, but he also has shown, you know, according to Matt Harmon and Chris Harris, a real struggle to gain separation, right? So what's going to happen when he's not playing the Carolina Panthers or he's not playing in the preseason? Yeah, and, and here's my thing. So there's a, there's a whole tier of guys in this range 
like guys like Robert Woods, guys like Cooper Cup, uh, you know, Tyler Lockett, like they're all sort of these, you know, older receivers who we, you know, know are going to put up wide receiver two numbers. And we've seen them do it before for years and years. So like, I love that Corey Davis is now in that conversation. I'm just not, I wouldn't trade him like straight up for, or trade away Tyler Lockett straight up to get him at this point. No, I don't think so either. I just think that the, the window, his transfer window is the shot clock's running out right now because if Corey Davis puts this up next week and or puts up like crazy target share next week, not necessarily the touchdowns, if Zach Wilson and Corey Davis continue to establish this, his price is going to be too high. And I'm saying that like right now, it's just right. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what he does uh, against the Patriots next week. Um, Stefan Gilmore's not going to be there. Uh, so maybe I'll still be able to kind of hold on to my priors because Gilmore's <laughs> not going to be active. But uh, yeah, I just want to see him do it more. And 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 if, it, you know, I'm not going to go out and pay a first round pick for Corey Davis right now. And if he ends up becoming worth a first round pick in a couple of games, then I'll happily do it. If I see him, you know, continue to put up these kinds of numbers. Fair enough, that's, that, that's what I'm saying. Uh, all right. So the next guy we're going to talk about running back for the Baltimore Ravens. Tyson Williams. Uh, we saw him start the game against the Raiders uh, play pretty well. And then his usage kind of tailed off in the second half. Uh, and I think even though he played a lot more snaps than Latavius Murray, Latavius Murray ended up edging him out in terms of carries. So uh, where are you guys falling on Tyson Williams now that we've seen him play an NFL game? So, so I'm higher on Williams than I am on Elijah Mitchell. I think both of them were the hot uh, waiver wire ads this week. I think it's much more uh, predictable to say that Tyson is going to be the lead guy in Baltimore compared to saying Elijah Mitchell is definitely going to be the lead guy in San Francisco. Uh, they clearly liked this guy. They were talking him up when uh, Gus Edwards went down. Baltimore did the smart thing. They brought in a couple of vets. They brought in Le'Veon Bell. They brought in Latavius Murray, Devontae Freeman, guys who can back up, you know, this young player who's getting the opportunities for the first time. But make no mistake, it's his offense. So this is a low-end running back two season incoming right now. His upside is something like what uh, James Robinson gave us last year. I don't think he's going to get quite the volume that James Robinson did because that's not how Baltimore runs their offense. They like running more of a committee than they did in Jacksonville last year, but I think he can be a lot more efficient than what J-Rob was, get those touchdowns, and be a really solid piece of continuing roster. Trey, I love that. Where is he in your rankings right now? Well, I mean, he was virtually unranked before uh, uh, last week, but uh, I've moved him all the way up to running back 30, so I've got him two spots behind uh, J-Rob, the guy I'm mentioning, because they're both, you know, relatively one-year rentals, and it's, you know, really clear that Tyson, you know, has got a lot of upside and an awesome running system. And I love that you've established both of those things because A, in my rankings, I had NA to 31. And that's where I got mm-hmm. him, 31. And because he has the juice, man. Dude, you see that burst? <laughs> we saw that burst. He looked good. But why did he disappear in the second half? It was because of inexperience and poor pass blocking, which is why Latavius got in there, which is why you just talked about these guys signing uh, Devonta Freeman, Le'Veon Bell, etc., Right. Right. So when they talk about guys that they want to run the ball on that first team offense with Lamar Jackson, yeah, he definitely looks like the candidate to do that. But just like you said as well, like he's a rental. Dobbins is coming back next year. Uh, Yeah, so is Edwards. uh, Apparently. 
I don't know that. But like uh, he feels like a, a cap casualty to me. But who knows? He's going to have competition next year if he even finishes this year like on the depth chart. Right. Like, well, right. So so just look at I mean, we were never going to project or I was never going to project Baltimore to give J.K. Dobbins more than 60, 65 percent of the carries right there. Like there was always going to be a second running back who was going to be in that conversation and they were going to split the workload a little bit. So I expect that's what's going to happen with Tyson, too. That's what's going to happen with Tyson, too. I just think that that lead back role in this offense is valuable enough that he's worth, you know, spending all the, you know, fab or the second round pick, whatever it takes to get him at this point. I guess. How long do you want to hold him, though? Because I feel like this, like you said, I mean, at, yeah, at this point, you, you you're going into it with clear eyes yeah, and you I know, know that it's a one year rental, right? Like, so when do you want to get out? I don't know, man. I mean, uh, it's a one year rental, right? So uh, we we this happens every year. Yeah. Sometimes in Dynasty, you have to ride the one year rental. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can try to get out if you feel like you don't. He's very deep on your roster. You don't need him. You can try to turn him around before the year ends. But if he's going to be a flex play for you throughout the year, you might as well write him out because the investment you got for him was likely pretty minimal. Yeah. Look, I. he was running back 55 for me pre week one, and he moved up to running back 39. Uh, so I didn't move him up all the way to where Gus Edwards was pre ACL injury. I'm feeling a little bit late to the party on Tyson because I'm still worried that Latavius and the other backs that they brought in will keep him from being much more than a running back three. But I see the path that Trey is laying out here and I'm open to it. Um, but you know, I, this is another kind of situation where I'm, I'm just going to have to be happy being late to the party and I'm not going to be super aggressive. Yeah. I'm not going to fault anybody either if they want to package him with another guy and move up to get like a tier one running back. So, I mean, recognize that uh, this is a one year rental most likely. I will say John did send me a uh, Tyson Williams for my second round draft pick that I happily declined there. But I've seen on Reddit a lot of people accepting that trade. So, yeah, who yeah knows? So, so have I. Um, I paid more. Yeah. I paid more for it uh, for him than that. I ain't paying. Yeah, um, I I think it's justifiable to trade away a second round pick for Tyson Williams. Again, I'm just not there yet. I'm going to be happy being late to the party. That's my position. All right. So the last guy we're going to talk about collectively is Rob Gronkowski, um, who, you know, was there for the feast against the Dallas Cowboys defense on Thursday night. He happily ate. uh, He happily spiked the ball a couple times in the end zone. uh, And he looked really good. It looked pretty vintage between him and Tom Brady. Uh, So, Trey, let me start with you. How are you evaluating Gronk in your rankings after week one? Yeah, it looked like vintage Gronk out there. So that was pretty cool to see. It's it's nice seeing him and Brady, you know, kind of run that back. Uh, not like those guys need another ring, but uh, he looks like a borderline uh, tight end one uh, the rest of the year. I mean, he's clearly sitting right now as the tight end number one uh, based off of that week one performance, but he's not going to get to play the Cowboys every week. Uh, I'm not going to overreact to the two touchdowns. That's what I said last week. I wasn't going to uh, overreact to these touchdown performances. Uh, yes, I know Gronk is is going to feast in the end zone occasionally, and he's going to have these games. Um, I'm moving him up into my tight end 18, and if you want to take a flyer on him for your contending roster, by all means, go for it. Yeah, I, you know what, man? And I'm on the other side of this coin here. I've been suggesting Gronkowski for a while, Dynasty, 
yeah, we're playing for the future, but we're also trying to win now. And the tight end group is so just it. It's a wasteland after uh, Mark Andrews. I, I feel like after tight end six, you know, you're basically taking dart throws and hoping for the best and hoping that your film study or whatever you've been reading is going to come true. But the fact of the matter is Rob Gronkowski can help you right now. And that's not what a lot of tight ends can do for you. Week to week, I think Gronkowski is going to be in, in, included in the offense with Tom Brady. They look they look vintage. I expect them to keep it going. I don't expect two touchdowns every week. Of course not. But at the end of the day, if Gronkowski finishes in the top five this year, that warrants a third round pick plus. I don't know if that warrants a second round pick. It depends on how bad you're you're hurting at tight end. But you know what? Some of us are trying to win championships this year, and some of us need that veteran player to fill that gap. And with the tight ends, there aren't a whole lot of guys out there. So if Gronkowski is the only option you got, I don't think it's a bad one. For me, he moved up from 14 to 11, which I was already high on him in the first place. I'm putting him in as a tight end one in Dynasty because simply the guys behind him, I don't know if they'll ever finish again as a tight end one. Yeah, look, if your roster, your contending roster is really strong and it's essentially like a tight end away, you know, and you're trying to stitch things together with Gerald Everett and Hunter Henry, I'm completely fine sending a second round pick to get Gronk on your roster uh, and kind of patch that up uh, for what should be a good year. Even if it's only 60% of what we saw on Thursday night, that's still going to be a really fucking great year from a tight end. So he moved up from tight end 29 to tight end 18 for me. Like Trey said, can't expect week one numbers every week. Mitch said it also, but you know, there were plenty of targets going his way and tight end is a morass after, you know, tight end seven or six. So completely fine with it. Uh, I think we're, we've all moved a little bit closer to Mitch on this one. Okay, so that wraps up the five guys we're going to talk about collectively. Now I'm just going to throw it to each of you for about a minute. Uh, you can talk about a couple more guys that you want to bring up that moved either up or down in your rankings. Mitch, let's start with you. All right, let's do it. Well, the, the first guy I wanted to talk about, he didn't move a whole lot, but it brings a lot of weight where he moved from and where he moved to. And that is Tyreek Hill moving from wide receiver five to wide receiver one. So uh, at some point in the preseason, I had Tyreek Hill ranked as wide receiver one. And the more work I did, he just slowly started to fall behind guys like A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, etc., simply because he's 27 years old. And I just want to go ahead and get this out of the way and admit that that was wrong. And the reason I think that that is wrong is because Tyreek Hill, in my opinion, is still the best wide receiver in fantasy football right now and still has the potential to be that guy next year. And I think that he can get me the most in return if the shit hit the fan and I'm trying to rebuild. Logan Thomas, uh, he moved from 18 to 9. I was a little low on him. I just think that, you know, I thought maybe last year would be an anomaly. And I'm going to go ahead and say I think he's going to be a focal point of at least Hanky Panky's offense. And then uh, Adam Thielen, I wanted to touch on for a moment, just because you three uh, have dropped him in your ranks after the first week, which to me seemed kind of weird, considering I feel that Thielen can help you win your Dynasty League now, especially with Irv Smith going down. And then uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, I just wanted to point out 
dropped from 28 to 36 just with Ben Roethlisberger kind of looking the way that uh, we thought he would and Juju disappearing as where Claypool and Deontay look like the more prominent figures in that offense. Okay, Trey, who are some movers for you? Yeah, it's just two guys that moved up my ranks. Uh, so Derek Carr, I had him as uh, the quarterback 27. He's moved up into the 21 uh, spot for me. Uh, I just thought he had a great night against the Ravens uh, in prime time. He had 435 yards passing. He was absolutely showering Waller with targets. So uh, if you've uh, got Waller uh, in, in a super flex league, I love uh, Derek Carr as kind of a uh, you know a, a low cost option as like your second or third quarterback uh, on a super flex roster. Uh, Tyler Higby is another guy who moved up a lot. Uh, he went from tight end 20 to uh, 13 for me. As Mitch said, uh, there, there's definitely a plateau at tight end after the first seven guys. Uh, so Higby came in with five catches uh, for 68 yards. No more Gerald Everett in that offense. So I think he's a lot closer to a top 10 option than to uh, the tight end 20 where I had him before. Okay, and three guys that I'm going to talk about really quick. First, Chris Godwin. He moved up from wide receiver 13 to wide receiver 11 for me. So he, this is a small move, obviously, but he's surpassing Terry McLaurin and Brandon Ayuk here, which is significant. I loved his target share on a high volume day. And I think his role is the most stable of the three Buccaneers receivers due to Brady's affinity for the Y position. Mike Gesicki moved down from tight end 11 to tight end 17 to me concerning target share. And I was already kind of skeptical of his ability to be a good tight end on the NFL level. So uh, I moved him down and then Sterling Shepard was the biggest mover to me. Uh, and that's probably just because I was too low on him to begin with. He was wide receiver 81 before the season. He's now wide receiver 56. I think he continued some upside momentum from the end of last year. He's always had good reception perception numbers consistently. So now he's kind of up in the Marvin Jones range of veteran receivers that you can get for pretty cheap who can plug in nicely to your flex, especially in a PPR. We've come full circle back on Sterling Shepard. <laughs> favorite player yeah and and just for the record uh i think adam thielen only moved down one spot for me and that's because i just boosted uh debo samuel in my rank so i didn't really move adam thielen down he was just kind of the victim of circumstance no he's the victim of sleeping yeah i guess i mean he's still he's still very old like trey warned us last week we don't necessarily want to overreact to big touchdown numbers in week one right so um He's still on a contending roster, somebody that you can target and somebody who can be a wide receiver too for you throughout the year. Um, but in dynasty ranks, in the long game, uh, I still have him as a as you know a low end wide receiver three. Okay, uh, that is going to do it for episode. What is this? Twenty three. Twenty three. 2369 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. It was great to watch football, great to react to some actual weekly stat lines and kind of see how they align with uh, our dynasty values. And we're looking forward to doing that all throughout the season. Boys, let's hit another parlay and let's retire. Let's do it. Let's go. Goodbye. All right, guys. Later. Adios.